Well, we're coming to the end. In fact, this is the last Sunday of our series um, being poured out, sharing our faith. Uh, and uh, it's, it seems a long time ago that I was on holidays in Tassie and traveling around and visiting different churches and being challenged myself about what it means for us, Inglewood Community Church, to be a church that thinks about others, that is a welcoming church, uh, that thinks about sharing our faith. And I've been really encouraged the last couple of months. There's been a, a couple of highlights. Kerry uh, Hoggart, the, uh, one of our pianists, who shared about just do something. Even if you don't feel you're an expert, just share your faith. Just put something out there. Pastor Jess shared with us last week about Zacchaeus, uh, that Jesus came to his house and his house was blessed. And she said to us, you know, share something, even if it's awkward, even if you can't share the whole thing, just send the message, do something. And I've been reminded uh, as I've been speaking the last month or so that, you know, we're all, we may all be part of someone's story. We may not be the whole story, but may, you may be one of seven people that share with them, that sees them come to know Jesus and say yes to Jesus for the first time. That could be your story. And my question, my challenge to you is, what, is, what are you doing about it? Because it is absolutely true. The last thing Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 28, go into the world, make disciples, tell people about me, disciple and baptize them. This was his last thing that he said. It's the priority of the church to be an outward-focused church, to be a church that actually is concerned for people that don't know Jesus. If you know Jesus and you know God, well, you know where you're going, you know your future. You know God in your life. He is there. He is present. But the challenge of the gospel and the challenge of Jesus is absolutely to you about the other. It's not about you. It's about honouring God. It's about serving others. That is your responsibility as a believer to share your faith. And you can do it. You can't be Billy Graham <laughs> You can't be this person. You can't be that person. You can just be you where you are. And it's not up to me. I'm not in your workplace. I'm not in your school. I don't have the friends you have. I don't go to the places you go to. It's not me. I'm here to encourage and exhort and equip you as a church to reach the people that are in your lives. And that's the challenge for us. So as we come to this very last message this morning, I've been thinking through and praying through what I think is the, the most important thing to finish with. Because we've had some, we've had some whys. We've, sat, we've had some hows. This morning, I want to share with you why it will make a difference in the life of the person you share your faith with. What good will it do them if they discover Jesus, if they find Jesus, if they say yes to Jesus, will it help them? And it will help them if you believe a certain statement. And this, is, this goes beyond just sharing your faith. It actually goes to the heart of your whole life. It's a very simple idea and a very simple statement. God is good and he has good things in store for your life. God is good. Good, and he has good things in store for your life. So your motivation to share your faith is simply that. If your friend, if your hairdresser, if your mechanic, if your neighbor, if your son, your daughter, your auntie, your uncle, if they discover Jesus, 
they will find that God is good and has good things for their lives. It will change the trajectory of their life for the better. So sharing your faith, you are doing them an incredible favour. You are not manipulating them. You are not getting them into a system that, that you want them to get into this system and fit into your, your row. You're actually doing them good because they will discover that God is good and he has good things in store for their life. Now, first of all, the first thing I need to do is try to encourage you in that, that you will actually believe that. Because if you believe that, then you will share your faith because you will see it's good. And the truth is, for many of us, even this morning, and me as well, there are times we doubt that God is good. And we doubt that he has good things in store for our lives. This week I was reading, doing my normal research, and I came across uh, an, an article that this person had written, a psychologist, a Christian psychologist. And it was, it was okay. It was just a bit cliched. And I want to tell you the story because I read the story and I thought, that's good, but I'm frustrated by it. So she tells this story. It's a cute little story about her little dog. And a little dog comes up to the table where she's eating something. And she is eating this food, and the dog wants some of the food. And she says, I can't give you this food, because this food is not good for you. You're a dog. I don't know, maybe it's chocolate, maybe it's onions, maybe it's something that dogs aren't meant to eat. I'm not going to give you the food because it's not good for you. You want it. You think it's good for you, but I'm not going to give it to you because it's not. And she goes on, and she talks about the story, and she says, you know, this is a bit like us with God. We, we want something. We think it's good for us, but it's not, so God doesn't give it to us. Now look, there's truth in that. There's absolutely some things that you want that are selfish, uh, but you think they're good, and God's not going to give them to you because they're not good for you. There's truth in that. But for me, it didn't go far enough because I want to be a mature Christian, and I want to understand, and I want, I want us all to understand that maturing in a Christian means understanding that there are some things you will not understand. You're the person there you're asking God for something that is good that you can't see why it's not good and he hasn't given it to you and I might look at that situation I might sit down with you I might empathize with you and I might say I don't understand either why God has not given that to you and so we actually need to sit there in that space as mature Christians and be able to say not everything is a simple little cute story about a dog not everything is that simple. We actually need to sit and say, you know what, sometimes life is really difficult. It truly is. Sometimes I'm in a really difficult season. I've been let go. I haven't, my life hasn't turned out the way I thought it should. I haven't received in my life from God the things I thought I would receive by this time. And that can absolutely lead us, and to be honest, probably should, to sit there and to question and to ask the deep questions, to not gloss over that season. You know, I've noticed sometimes we forget there's a book in the Bible called Lamentations and there's a season for lament and there's a season to just sit and say, this is really bad and I don't know why. And quite frankly, I may never know why this side of heaven. But I'm a dealer in hope. That's what I do as a minister, as a preacher. I deal hope. 
And I want to say to you that no matter the season you're in, no matter the terrible things you may or may not be going through, maybe you're in a really good season, God is still good. And God does have good things for your life. And we need to, we need to come to that point as mature believers to understand that there's going to be tough times. But God is good and he has good things for our lives. And therefore, we should be sharing that. Because we should be concerned about other people that, in fact, God has good things for them as well. So the start of the sermon is the end of the sermon. You know, Jesus told the story about the son who comes to the father and asks the father for something to eat. And the father is our heavenly father. And the heavenly father will give the bread He won't give the rock. He will give what is good for you. And he will give you good things. And Jesus calls us to pray and to ask for those things. To be in relationship with God. One struggle you may have is not to presume. Not to presume that God knows what you want, what you need. But to ask and to be in relationship with him. The son came and he asked the Father, make sure we're asking. But more than that, make sure we are posturing ourselves in a, in a state of expectation. I expect that God is good, and I expect that he will give me good things. I actually posture myself. That is a posture of faith and belief that God is good, and he will give us good things. This morning we're looking at uh, our final story from the Gospel of Luke and it's the faith of the Roman officer, Luke chapter 7, verse 1 to 10. I love this story. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people, he returned to Capernaum. Just, just, we'll come back to that. Just lock that away in your mind. At that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they said, for he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. Synagogue was a place of worship, a smaller place of worship, not necessarily a temple where people would gather in their local town and they would come together, the scriptures would be read, Uh, And you often see Jesus going to the synagogue, reading the scriptures, people worshipping there. It was a place of the Jewish faith in the midst of perhaps sometimes foreign cities. Uh, Wherever they happen to be, we wanted to have a synagogue where we can gather. Smaller gathering, but where they would meet together. So Jesus went with them. But just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I am not worthy of such an honour. I'm not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word. Say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Amazed. Turning to the crowd that was seen following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. 
You know, there's two times in the Bible where the Bible says Jesus is amazed. And I want to wrestle with that from a theological point of view. We have God who knows everything, who made the world, spoke the world, the world came into being, who knows everything, who comes to earth in the form of a man we, we know as Jesus, the God-man, and he is surprised twice in the Bible. How can the God of the universe be surprised by anything? Well, we know that basically he had limited himself on earth. He was reliant upon the Holy Spirit, as Pastor Jess shared with us last week. Wasn't that amazing? He was led by the Holy Spirit. That God on earth was led by the Spirit of God. He still was dependent upon God to lead him. Amazing. But there are two times where he's actually surprised The first time we see, not this passage, but another passage of Scripture, he is surprised, he is amazed, does anyone know, at their lack of faith. They were the people of Israel. They were of his faith, of his religion. He had spoken great words. He had done miracles. He could not believe that they did not believe. I cannot believe what a disbelieving bunch of people you are. I am surprised at your disbelief. Here in this passage, the other time, we see that Jesus was surprised. He is surprised. He is amazed. He marvels at the fact that this Roman centurion um, believed and had faith. And his faith surprised him and caught him completely unawares. What do we know about this centurion? We know that a centurion looked after about 100 men, 80 to 120, somewhere around there. We know that his wage was about 15 times the normal wage of a soldier. So he's not without wealth. He's got some wealth. That's absolutely for sure. We know that they could not take a wife uh, into their home. They They had concubines, but they couldn't have a wife. They couldn't have children. They were not allowed to have family until they retired. And we know that he's a Roman soldier. We know that he comes from a a religion that believes in many gods. Of all different descriptions, a God for whatever it is that you need at that particular time. You name him and you pray to him or her or whatever it is. He doesn't believe in one God. He believes in many gods. So his religion is not of the Jewish faith. It's of his own faith. He's come into this city, this place of Capernaum. Uh, They've taken over. um, They rule. He's responsible for the security in the town. And he has this slave that he cares about. And perhaps there's a real sense that he cares about the slave because that's his family. When we think of a slave, we think of uh, basically a tool. We think of someone that is there just to do a job. That's not how they were often viewed. Often they were given responsibility. Often they looked after the affairs in the home and they did lots of different things. And often they were taken in as home. The Bible makes it really clear. The term here is my dear Friend, my dear slave, my dear servant. There's a definite sense that there is actual affection for this person. He really cares about them. They're his family, they're his community. They're what he has in this foreign land. And he cares about them. He says to Jesus, please don't come to my house. Don't come to my house. Why would you not want Jesus to come to it? His house. We had the story last week of Zacchaeus and, and just told us that Jesus goes to his house. He's invited into his house. She told us that he was a son of Abraham, so he's like of the Jewish faith. 
And she, tell, she told us at the very end, which I thought was really poignant, you are now, everyone, look, he is a son of Abraham. He is, he is one of us. Salvation has come to his home. This is a really different story. The soldier was a Gentile soldier. Perhaps. Perhaps he understood that to have a rabbi, a Jewish teacher, which is what Jesus was, come into his house meant that Jesus would then at that point be considered unclean. He was not meant to. You were not meant to go into the house of a Gentile. We know that from Peter in the book of Acts where he said, I can't go to this uh, person's house. They're not of the Jewish faith. You know, This is against my religion. Perhaps the Roman centurion understood the nuance of their faith. I think that was probably his responsibility to do that. Perhaps he's trying to save Jesus from that. But interestingly enough, in his faith, if you wanted to be healed, if you wanted someone to come, they needed to come and they needed to be present. They needed to put oil over you and they needed to speak words over you. That's what needed to happen in his religion. He's going against, really, his own faith in saying, Jesus, don't come to my house. He was a man that ordered around 100 soldiers. He gave a command and they did what they were told without question. He understood something about the spiritual realm here. Jesus, you just need to say a word and it will happen. He shows extraordinary faith in Jesus Christ. I wonder how our faith stacks up. He expected good things from God. He expected that if Jesus gave the word, good things would happen. And good things did happen. The servant is healed in that moment. He put his trust, he put his faith in Jesus. Very interesting. He would be the last person you would expect to believe, which is why Jesus was so amazed. I want you to think about those people in your life. Think about someone right now who you would love to see come to know God, but there's no way they ever will. No way. I want to give you a moment to think of that person, someone you'd really like to see come to know God, but they never will. And of course, I'm challenging you now, aren't I? Because we know nothing is impossible with God. Amazing, imagine how it would be if you were surprised. It's okay, Jesus was surprised. But imagine how it would be if you were surprised and amazed that God brought them to faith. A year or two ago, I preached a sermon here in this church and I gave an altar call and no one came forward. And I walked away thinking, okay, obviously didn't do a very good job, as though it's dependent upon me. And about a month later, I was talking to a young man in our church, I won't say whose name, and he told me that he had given his life to Jesus on that day in church. And I'm like, why didn't you come forward? I didn't say that. And a couple of months later, he was baptised, and it was a great day and a great story. You see, God is at work in your life, and God will be at work. As you posture yourself to share your faith and to put it out there and to pray the prayer, 
We can't, even if it's just a mustard seed, right? The tiniest bit of faith. The faith in, in asking. Just send the email. Send the Facebook message. Have the awkward conversation. Just do something. And just sit back and be amazed at what God might do. You might marvel at that person that you've just thought about. That maybe they will come to know God. Maybe it will be incredible and amazing. I said to you about Capernaum. If we flip back in Luke chapter 4 and we go back to verses 31 to 37, we don't have the centurion mentioned, but we do have Capernaum mentioned. And I wonder if you'll pick up where I'm going with this. Then Jesus went to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and he taught there where? Church? In the synagogue, in Capernaum. Every Sabbath day. There too, the people were amazed at his teaching. The people are amazed at his teaching. For he spoke with authority. I find it so interesting in the Bible how often the people are amazed at his teaching. And he's, off, he's about to heal someone from demon possession. But they're amazed at his teaching. For he spoke with authority. Once when he was in the where? Synagogue. A man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, began shouting at Jesus, Go away. Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus cut him short. Be quiet. Come out of that man, he ordered. At last, the demon threw the man to the floor as a crowd watched. Then it came out of him without hurting him further. Amazed, the people exclaimed, What authority and power this man's words possess? Even evil spirits obey him and they flee at his command. The news about Jesus spread through every village in the entire region. There's probably only one synagogue in the town of Capernaum. This synagogue is the synagogue that that centurion has had built. He's had that, that synagogue built in Capernaum for the people. And they've said, yeah, build us a synagogue. Then Jesus has come along and he's taught in that synagogue. And not only has he taught there... But he's done incredible miracles there as well. And the news about Jesus has spread to the region. Do you think the centurion knew what was going on in the synagogue he had built, in the city that he was in charge of? Of course he did. He was responsible for security. And believe me, the, the, people, the, the Jewish people would get together and, man, you would need security. There's a lot of stuff going on. And this was the synagogue that he had built. And now Jesus is teaching in that synagogue and doing miracles in that synagogue. My point is this, you know, how are they going to hear unless someone tells them the good news? How are they going to know? He knew. He'd been told the stories about Jesus. Jesus' reputation had gone out throughout the whole region. People had told him about Jesus. So when we come to Luke chapter 7 and we have this story, let the reader look, let the reader be aware. There's a reason Luke has put it there and a reason he's put it there. People are on a journey. Did the centurion come to faith back here in Luke 4? Maybe, I don't know, we're not told. But he, he certainly expressed faith here in Luke 7. And his life is part of a journey So here's the point, and here's the point for us. The first thing, 
God has been good to you and he'll be good to you again. Just think about that for yourself. It's the first point, the first hump we need to understand. God has been good to you and he will be good to you again. I want you to think if you're going through a tough season right now, if that is you, and that won't be all of our story, but if you're going through a tough season, think back to those times when God has been good to you because there will be moments. Think back to when you were drawn to faith. Think back to when he spoke to you. Think back to when he answered your prayer and he gave you what you needed. Testify to your own spirit. Testify to your own heart. God has been good to me and he'll be good again. Secondly, God is good to us all in different ways. We've seen the centurion. We've seen Zacchaeus. They needed different things. They needed different ways to come to know Jesus. And there are different ways and different things that God is going to give us all. We're given a lifetime because we need a lifetime of lessons to learn. You need a lifetime of lessons to learn. And if you're, if you're still listening and you're still breathing this morning, then God has more to teach you and more to be done in your life. It doesn't matter if you're... George here on stage or someone else who's the oldest person in this building. God has good things in store for you. He has lessons for you to learn and places and changes that he wants to make in your life. I just can't encourage you enough. Posture yourself to believe that God is good and he has good things in store for you because he's a good God. You know, finally, as the band comes up and we get ready to remember communion together and to celebrate that together, this is my challenge for you this morning because I, I truly believe if you do this, it will encourage you to share your faith. But you need to believe it yourself because I want you to think about your relationship with God and then I want you to think about other people. When you pray and plan your life, do you expect good things from God? When you pray and plan your life, do you expect that God has good things for you? If you don't expect that, you're going to shrink back in fear. You're not going to be looking outward. You're going to be looking inward. And sometimes maybe some of us feel like we've been battered around the head a bit and sometimes we feel like I just need a bit more faith. I, I do understand. But for me, even for me just recently, I've just been meditating upon this for the last couple of months. God is good. God is good. And he has good things in store for my life. I think I've got a poem that I've got up there just to read. Or maybe it is. Here it is. For the love of God is broader than the measure of man's mind. And the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. It's broader than what God is broader than what you could ever understand. But his kindness to you he really is kind. He really is good. The worship team is just going to lead us in a, a verse and a chorus. I just invite you to stay seated and just in a heart of meditation, just taking these beautiful words. And in a moment or two, I'll lead us in communion. <laughs>